Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're going to, uh, we're going to talk about a, an epic shift in, in the entire world, which is um, the emergence of Avraham, Avraham and Sarah, and what that means to the world. And of course, everybody knows that Avraham and Sarah were the, the first Jews. And, and um, a lot of people say that Avraham was the creator of monotheism meaning the, 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 the person who discovered this great truth that there's one God in the world. Um, and that's, it's true, but it deserves to, to have a, a wider context. Um, meaning to say that I heard uh, Rabbi Adin Steinsalt say that in reality, Avram was not the inventor of monotheism or the discoverer of monotheism. Adam and Chava knew that there was one God in the world. And the early generations knew that there was one God in the world. But that, that knowledge got lost and covered over by the development of idol worship. So much so that when Abraham came along, it wasn't known in the world. And so Abraham was able to make this great discovery, this great breakthrough. But he wasn't the first person you know, on planet Earth to know these things. It, it, it was information that was known when, when the world was created but then it was covered over and lost, and he was able to arrive at it again. So that's just to create sort of like a, an overview in terms of just the knowledge of the oneness of God. Now that leads us to another question, and will help us to appreciate who the Jews are, what the Jews are, what's this whole idea of a first Jew and, 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 and all the rest. And the question is, which a lot of people kind of wonder, were Adam and Eve Jewish? So, so that's, that's, a, that's something that we, we need to know as well. So here's how I would explain it. Um, I would say just a, as a starting statement that it's irrelevant whether they were Jewish or not. Um, and what I mean by that is that the critical um, point is that Adam and Chava lived in a Torah world. And we know that, that God, it says that God looked into the Torah and he created the world. That the, that the Torah itself is the blueprint of creation. And on an even deeper level, that God sort of like formed the world out of the energy of the Torah. So the whole world is made out of Torah. And we know that Adam and Chava, Adam specifically, had two commandments, to work and to guard the gar garden. And they say that these two commandments represented um, all of the positive commandments and all of the negative commandments. So here you see that he had a microcosm of the Torah itself and the mitzvot themselves. But whether or not they were Jewish was almost not relevant to the time. The point were, was is that they lived within Torah. And we know that everyone, whether they're Jewish or not, all people in the world are children of God, and all people in the world have a connection to Torah, because we know that there are seven universal mitzvot. So every single person in the world, whether they're Jewish or not, has a connection, a very deep connection to the Torah itself. So I would, I would ask you to understand Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, within that context, right? Okay. So now what happens? We know that the world now, sort of spiritually speaking, starts to go downward. And we've got 
two major events, which is the flood and the Tower of Babel, that, that happen. And each one, you know, sort of like marks the spiritual descent of the world and people getting farther and farther away from the notion of the oneness of God. Um, everybody knows what happens in the flood. God starts again. Less understood widely is what happens at the Tower of Babel because Abraham Avinu was alive at the time of the Tower of Babel. And that then becomes the turning point for the arrival of Abraham onto the scene of the world. So let's just take a look at what happened there. God makes a promise, which is not to bring another flood again. Right? Um, the, the Tower of Babel was, was really fascinating because it was our way of sort of like, or humanity at that time's way, of making like this bit of an insurance policy. They said, we're going to build a tower so large that if God does bring a flood, we will be safe from the waters of the flood because we're going to live above the flood line. And it was mankind at that point's statement to God that we can exist independently of you. And after that, God says, okay, we're going to start again. (laughs) But we're not going to start again in the way that the flood devastated the entire world. We're going to start again with this concept of this thing called a Jew. And we're going to start with this notion of someone who's going to restore the notion of what I had in mind from the very outset for the creation of the world. And so now Jews are invented, basically. And Avraham and Sarah now come and start this this historic drive toward understanding and restoring the concept of the oneness of God and the fact that God is absolutely everywhere. Okay? And that, as Rabbi Freeman said so beautifully, that we exist amidst his consciousness. Right? It's not just like spirituality, whatever that is. Right? We're, there's something more viscous, right? About the, consci- that, about the concept of consciousness, that we're existing within consciousness. So, of course, God knows everything and is everywhere because we're, we live amidst his consciousness. Okay. Now, we get to Lech Lecha. So, Lech Lecha is, is, is a striking shift um, in terms of Noach. And, and, and everyone, all the rabbis are asking us to compare Noach or Noah and Avraham. So there's many, many discussions, many, many comparisons. And the Ramban points out something, which is that, you know, in the beginning of Parsha's Noach, you kind of get his resume, so to speak, before you get his job. And so that seems like a very, you know, a very logical kind of structure. First, let's figure out who the person is, and then we'll figure out what he's supposed to do. Okay? So the Torah tells us that, that, that Noah was an ish tzaddik, tami, that he was a righteous person. And this is Hashem giving testimony to the greatness of Noah. And that he was perfect, totally pure in his generations. So this is like the ultimate. And then a few verses later, God says, I'm going to bring a flood unto the world and, and, and here's your job. Okay. 
So now what's striking about that is when you contrast it to Lech Lecha. With Lech Lecha, we're also getting the introduction to, you know, a phenomenal history-changing person, Avraham. And he says, here's the beginning of Lech Lecha. Listen to how it departs from the structure of Noah. Here's the beginning. Hashem says to Avram, Lech Lecha, go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. So in other words, there's no introduction of who Avraham is. It just goes straight into the job. The resume is left out. Now that's all the more striking because we know so many phenomenal things about who Avraham was leading up to this moment. So in other words, we have so much information about Avraham and we're not saying any of it. So it compounds the, the question. Why, does, why is the Torah departing from a certain structure which seemed eminently logical that it established in Noah? So the Maharal has a very awesome answer to this, which is that it says in Pirkei Avos that if there is a love between two entities, right, that's contingent on something, and that element goes away, the love also goes away. So for instance, if I love you for your money, and all of a sudden you haven't got any cash, you know what, I got other things to do. Right? So anything that's contingent on something, if that thing goes away, the love also goes away. So the Maharal is saying that even though there were extraordinary, extraordinary things that Abraham did, the Torah is deliberately not listing them so that you shouldn't think that God's love for Abraham and by extension the Jewish people was based on anything. It was a pure love that was based on just the fact that we are an extension of God's essence. And therefore, that love can never go away. That commitment can never go away. It's forever. Okay. So now, let's go further. Abraham is given this amazing charge. Lech Lecha. And by the way, I heard it in the name of the Kutzka Rebbe, then someone said in the name of the Ger Rebbe. Okay, so whatever it is, that, that this call, Lech Lecha, to, to go forward, right, to go to Israel, and we'll get into that in a moment, that this was heard by everyone, but only Avraham heard the call. That's... that's that's, that's very intense because it even says in Perkei Avos. So you say, well, what about today? Like, okay, so Avram did the call, right? But it says in Perkei Avos that the, that the call, the voice from Mount Sinai has never gone away. So in other words, we're still in that same situation. Okay, so maybe it's not saying Lech Lecha or maybe it's still saying Lech Lecha and it's saying a lot of other things. That, 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 that signal from Mount Sinai has never stopped. So, you know, when someone says, you know what, I, maybe I'll keep a little Shabbos, maybe I should go to a class or whatever it is, that's a Lech Lecha moment. That's someone actually hearing it and, and, and going forward. It's, it's very big. It's very big. All right, so now let's get into what this, this, this idea is. That, and, and by the way, as much as we're saying um, 
that God says to Abraham, go to Israel, or Canaan, as it was called back then. And by the way, Canaan comes from the word hachna, which means to humble oneself. You know, because if you really want to go forward and make progress, you have to be able to let go of certain things. And, and you, you know, you know, I remember one time I was sitting in a base midrash, and my Hebrew is really, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing, it's, it's terrible. Um, and I was sitting in the base midrash, and I was trying to read this book and whatever it was, and there was like a little boy, he was like, I don't know, eight years old or something like that, sitting next to me, who had grown up in yeshivas and everything like that. And there was a word, a Hebrew word that I needed to know. And I was like, I bet he knows it. And then I was like, am I really going to ask an eight-year-old for help in my learning? And it was, and then I thought, well, what am I learning for? Like, what difference does it make? If he knows the answer and it can help me grow, what difference does it make? And it, I just remember it was very hard for me to ask him, but I, I asked him, and I don't even remember if he gave me the answer, it was almost beside the point, because it almost seems like it was just about the asking, you know what I mean? But, but if a person wants to be able to go further, they have to allow themselves to be nothing. And nothing doesn't mean no self-esteem, right? Nothing doesn't mean no self-esteem. You know, there's a, a great teaching from um, Rabbi uh, Meir Kahana, which is that they say that the, the, the Torah was given on Mount Sinai because Mount Sinai was the lowest mountain. So it was a very humble mountain, right? So he asked a great question. He says, well, if that's such a great prize, why not give it in a valley? Right? What's lower than a valley? He says, because, you know, making yourself humble doesn't mean allowing yourself to be stepped on. See? You have to know the balance. You have to know the balance between not being arrogant and allowing yourself to be nothing, but also understanding that your nothingness is made out of Hashem, which is the greatest thing in the world. So this is something that a person has to work on, what that, what that balance is, you know? So Lech Lecha, you see this... this um, dynamic in the words itself. Lech means to go forward. That means to move, like you're moving in time and space, right? You're making quote-unquote progress. Lecha means to yourself. So there's this simultaneous dynamic of, on the one hand, you're going forward in time and space, while simultaneously you're going within yourself. And there's this very strong linkage that to the extent that you can delve within yourself, you can go even further in time and space, in the proper direction, in the proper path that you want to go. So there's this amazing like gyroscope with the words lechlecha, which is the ability to go deep within while not just contemplating your navel. In other words, you don't want to just go deep within and you're paralyzed by... <laughs> You know, your own complexity. That's not the point. The point is to dwell deep within in order to actually make forward progress in life. See, we're, we're, we're a very introspective people, but the amazing thing is we're also a super practical people. 
This is the amazing thing about Torah, is that if you if you balance it right and you integrate it right, you're really touching on this world, you're touching on the next world, you're touching on absolutely everything. You know, I saw something last night that, that just kind of made me happy, which is that there's a, a movement, an organization, I saw this in the Jerusalem Post in Israel, I think it's called um, Kama, something like this, that is placing um, uh, Haredi people who haven't been um, traditionally in the workforce in Israel into high-tech jobs, you know? So, uh, so they, they had a picture of a, a busload of people that they were taking, it looked like a very sort of like brand new pretty bus that this organization has, and they were taking them to either it was Google or Apple in Israel, and there was a guy with a black hat and long pants and long beard like right off the streets of Meir Sharim, and he was like one of these people, and there were, you know, all sorts of people, you know? Um, you had people without beards, with black velvet coats, so, you know, all aspects of the Haredi world. But one of the things that they said, which, which just made me happy, was they said that the, 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 the people who have trained in, in Talmud Torah and Torah learning for their whole lives, um, that, that there's a mathematical aspect to that type of thinking. And so it's very consistent with the training for writing code. And anyone who's learned Torah knows that that's true. But the world thinks that it's sort of like, oh, you open up a book and it says, ye shall. That's what they're doing, sitting around, like, like reading ye shall to each other. You know, they don't, they don't understand that, you know, you're taking very complex problems and analyzing them from ten different angles and breaking them down. And it's, it's extremely analytic thinking. You know, so, so yes, of course it trains you for high tech. But, but this would be surprising to a lot of people because they have no idea about, the, about what, what, what Torah study actually requires. Okay, so, so again, Lech Lecha, this amazing dynamic of moving forward while simultaneously moving within, right? Um, and, and let's just say it for the other side too. You don't want to move too far forward without um, understanding that that's actually what your heart is telling you to do. Because you, you, you find, especially today, that that's maybe even more the problem. Where people get themselves stuck into jobs and careers and everything like that, but their soul is starving. So, so you need to have that, that, those two things in lockstep. Your, your place in life, your progress in life, your lech connected to your lecha, your, your level of self-understanding and knowledge, and that those two things should be in harmony with each other. But, but again, both of them are action words. In other words, you don't stop. You don't stop. And as Reb Leibola Eger says, which is just this giant thought, that when Hashem said lech lecha, he said it to every Jew for all time. In other words, never stop moving. Never stop moving. So, so even when you have it, that correlation in harmony between your lech and your lecha, you keep on going deeper and you keep on going farther. Right? You don't just, you don't just stop. Okay? Um, and in fact, I'll just make it even stronger, that the words lech lecha are in defiance of stopping. It's not just get the lech right and the lecha right, 
and then you're good. That, the, the words themselves upend that understanding. The lech is a constant and the lecha is a constant. So, so constantly going deeper and further. Okay. So now let's, 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 let's look at the actual um, verse again. Hashem says to Avram, go for yourself from your land, from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. It doesn't say to Israel. This is a very, very important, this is very, very important. This is a, a whole life teaching right here. Do you know where you're going? I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I don't. Anyone who knows where they're going, you know, you must be a prophet. Because how can you know what's going to happen one minute from now? Right? No one knows. No one knows. So God doesn't tell him, go to Israel. It happens to be that that's what God has in mind, Israel. But when Avraham sets out on the journey, Avraham himself doesn't know where he's going. That, that's, that, that's, that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. That, because that's a very accurate um, statement about the human condition. We have to move forward. And not, we have to move forward only if you can tell me where this is leading to. Because what's a guarantee worth? There are no guarantees with these type of things. Right? But if you have the courage to keep on moving, you'll discover things that you never imagined. You know, I always was moved by this thing. Reb Shlomo went to the Soviet Union, and his yurt site is this week, so all these words should be Zecher uh, Nishmas to Reb Shlomo ben Naftali. Um, and um, he performed in St. Petersburg and at a steel mill for steel workers. And afterwards, um, uh, these people came up and presented him with flowers after his performance. And he said, you know, this shows you that God's dreams for us are greater than our own. Because he said, never in a million years would I have dreamed that I would be performing in St. Petersburg in the Soviet Union and be presented with flowers from the people who, who heard. Right? So we, we don't know. We, we don't know. But, but there takes a certain amount of courage, which is, which is required. And, 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 and to avoid the false trap of saying, only if you can give me a guarantee. You know? So, so Abraham journeys forward. Now, I want to approach this, um, present a new idea, but it's based on a Torah from Reb Tzadok HaKain. So, so what is the journey? What is the nature of the journey? So Reb Tzadok HaKain points out that everything in the realm of space has a correlation in the realm of time. So in space, you have a concept called Israel. That's something that exists in, in space. So Reb Tzadok says that the that what he asks the question, what is Israel in the realm of time? And the answer is Shabbos. So, so now I want to use that thought to say the following. On a deeper level, what is this journey that Hashem was asking Avraham and Sarah and the emergent souls that they had gathered at that, at that moment? that Avraham and Sarah were to march 
and to journey towards Shabbos. Now, what does that mean exactly? Because Shabbos is, it's the seventh day of the week, right? But we know that the Messianic era is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. So, in other words, Abraham and Sarah have been charged to march toward and to arrive at a journey which will culminate in the perfection of the world. That's Yom Shekulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos, right? Because Israel in time is Shabbos. Now, just so we have an appreciation of what Shabbos is, you see, there's a, I don't know if I would call it a feminist Torah, but it, you know, it certainly advocates for the, the greatness of women. We know that if you look at the, the sequence of how God created different beings in the, in the, over the course of the, the first six days, you see that there's almost something Darwinian about it, that, that they are higher and higher life forms, culminating in man. But then, who's created after man? Woman. So from this you see that just, you know, on, a, on, on this level anyway, that woman is higher than man. But lest you think that that was the end of God's creative, uh, you know, uh, endeavors, there's something created after woman, and that's Shabbos. And we have to understand Shabbos as a separate creation and not just a, another day out of the week from the fabric of time and space that God had already brought into existence. So let me put it, give you a nice clear visual for it. Imagine a carpet is being rolled out. So the carpet rolls out, that's great, that's the first six days of the week. But then Shabbos, the seventh day of the week, is made out of something else. It's a separate creation in time and space. It's not the first six days of the week. So the first six days of the week is compared to the body of the universe, whereas the seventh day of the week, Shabbos, is the soul of the universe. And if you want to visualize it a different way, imagine a cube. A cube has six sides, right? Top down, right, left, front, back. Okay, that's six sides. But the inside of the cube is the seventh side of the cube. And that's the soul. That's the soul of creation. That's the soul of the world. That's, that's Shabbos. So now let's revisit this verse again. And it says now, Hashem is commanding Abraham to journey toward Shabbos, which is the perfection of the world, which is the soul of the world. So that's this historic journey that all of us are on. All of us are on it. Ari said something beautiful, which is that he said, you know, he wanted to compare the fact that Avram doesn't know where he's going to Nasev uh, uh, when, when the Jews said before accepting the Torah, Nasevinishma, which means that we will do and then we will hear. So normally speaking, before you commit yourself to doing something, you want to know what it is, right? So like in just daily conversation, sometimes people will ask you, can you do me a favor? And most people will say, 
what's the favor? <laughs> like, they won't say yes. But when God said, do you want the Torah? We didn't say, what does the Torah say? We said, yes, if it's coming from you, of course. We'll do it, then we'll find out the details. So, so all the Jewish people are coming from Abraham, right? And Abraham is the one who starts out on the journey not knowing where he's going. Just God says, you're telling me to go there? Of course I'm going there. If, you're t- if it's you who's telling me to go there, of course I'm going there. So that's, that's um, here you see that, you know, in every Shmonesway we say that we are the children of Abraham. And, and you see that that's still, that's, that, that's something that was imparted to us. And Rabbi Wolfson is very, very strong on this. He says that this is almost, I don't know if he uses the word genetic, but he means it on this level. That this is, this is a very real thing that's passed down into our genes as children of Abraham. And how do we mean it? He says that, how could it be that a baby spider knows how to weave a web? Have you ever seen a spider's web? They're like these like way out geometric designs. A baby spider, well, how big is his brain? Where, where did he t- attend like web-making seminars, right? Like, where do you see that? A spider is born with this very complex piece of information. They say, I don't know if this is true, but this is what they say, that the dams that beavers make are engineering marvels. How they assemble like twigs and things like this into something that's like very amazing. Where do they get that? They, they go to like the Cornell School of Engineering? Like, where do you, oh yeah, you know, I didn't get in because, oh, it was a big crop of beavers this year. They took all the spots, you know what I mean? Like, where do you see beavers attending engineering school? But they're born with this information. So he, he gives another example. He says, what about babies? Babies, naturally, if you put them near uh, uh, their mother's breast, they know to suckle. How do they know to make a, a vacuum with their mouth? That's not, that's not obvious. It's not obvious. You know, if you think like, if you like have a bottle of Coke, say, like a bottle, imagine the different positions of your mouth on the bottle of Coke. You can get the Coke in your mouth a variety of different ways. Right? Like your, your whole mouth doesn't have to surround the, 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 the hole in the top. Right? In fact, my natural position is not to do that. So how do, how do babies know to do that? So they say that a Jew is born from Abraham, is born with this intuitive knowledge of the oneness of God. Okay, so now what about people who come to Judaism later in life? So a very beautiful teaching and I saw it uh, again from the, in the, the more uh, Veshemish mentions it, and I heard it in the name of the Zohar. A very amazing, one of my favorite pieces of Torah ever. We know that, so how can uh, someone who, who comes to Judaism, who, who uh, is Magyar, uh, joins the Jewish people, how can that person say that they're a child of Avraham and Sar? Right? So this is, for me, so beautiful. Abraham and Sarah didn't have a baby right away. We know Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. Right? This was an, an incredible thing. 
But obviously they were together as man and wife many times before, before being 90 and 100, right? So do you think nothing came from their togetherness? So they were making souls. They were making souls together. And that those souls became the souls of future converts. That they weren't, they weren't, on the, they weren't, they weren't in body form yet. But they were going to come down in the later generations in body form. Right? So this is, and we know that every, every person who becomes, who converts to Judaism is born with a Jewish soul. And that they were all at Mount Sinai just like everyone else was at Mount Sinai. It says all the souls of future converts were also at Mount Sinai. So, okay. So Lech Lecha, we can now understand that Lech Lecha was this epic journey, not just to the land of Israel, but that it encompasses the entire human condition. The idea of going forward and going within. The idea of not knowing exactly what direction that we're heading in. Not having any guarantees or all the answers before we start out on the journey. It also shows you that it wasn't just a geographical concept, Lech Lecha, to go forward to a particular place, but that, but that um, it, it stands for journeying toward Shabbos, which is the day that will be all Shabbos, which is the soul of the world. So it's, it's this amazing thing that we're all on together, which is the unfolding of the oneness of God and the knowledge of God in the world. As the prophet Isaiah says, until the knowledge of God will fill the world like the waters fill the ocean. Now for me, that's an amazing bit of imagery. Like the waters fill the ocean. The waters are the ocean. <laughs> do, you know, do you know how complete the knowledge of God then becomes if it's like, like the waters fill the ocean? That means that the apparentness of God will be awesome and revealed, you know. Okay. So now, I want to go further. Um... So I noticed something, which is, which is that, uh, and I recommend if anyone has access to uh, a chumash, you know, a, a Torah book, that they should look this up because it might sound a little bit complex, but if you actually have it in front of you, you'll see that it's, it's very, very simple. And I'll do my best to try to explain it in a very simple way. Um, but it's, it would be in, in Lech Lecha, right? So that's... Um, in Breshis, the book of Genesis, it's chapter 12, um, verse 15. Chapter 12, verse 15. And if you look at it, you'll see what I'm saying very clearly. So, so we know that uh, every, single, every single month has a different combination of God's holiest name, the Yudke Vavke, ascribed to it. And there are 12 different permutations of the letters yud ke vav And for those of you who aren't familiar with the, this shorthand, we say K instead of hey, but we mean hey. Okay. So there's 12 different permutations of the letters yud ke vav And that is, one is assigned for each month of the year. 
And then the rabbis go further and they tell us whatever sequence, whatever permutation of the Yudke Vavke will, will, will correlate with a four-word sequence somewhere in Tanakh, whether it's in the five books or Ksuvim or the prophets or whatever it is. And that you'll get an additional insight into the energy or the DNA of the, of the heavenly energy of that month based on that combination, also based on whatever that Pusik is, whatever that, uh, whatever that verse is. So, so we, we, have something, we have something very interesting, which is that the arrangement for the month of Tishrei, and remember Tishrei is talking about creation, the arrangement for the month of Tishrei is here in Lech Lecha, and it's in a verse that talks about Sarah. So we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Um, and, and, and here it is. If you go to verse 15, you'll see it says, you look at the last four letters of the word of the beginning of the Pasuk, um, last four letters of each of the first four words, okay? So it says, so the, the arrangement for Tishrei is vav Yudhe. okay? So if you look at the last letters of the first four words um, in Pasuk 15, V'yiru, that's Vav, Osa, that's He, Sarai, that's Yud, Paro, that's He. So the last four letters of the first four words are vav He. Yudhe, and that in fact is the assignment for the month of Tishrei. Okay, and th- that's the verse that that correlates with it. So while I was looking at this, I noticed something that for me was very exciting. If you then kind of pick up the last letters again, starting with the word Sarai. Okay, so Sarai, Parom, Vahalu, Osa. Okay, those, those four words, which is in the middle of the sequence that we just read. So let's look at the last four letters of those four words. Sarai is Yud, Paro is He, Vahalu is Vav, and Osa is He. So the last four letters of those words are Yud, He, Vav, He. So that's the permutation for the month of Nisan. So what you see here overlapping, or maybe said even stronger, fused together are two sets of words that are overlapping, that are fused together, which correlate with two months, the month of Tishrei and the month of Nisan. And it's talking about Sarah. Now why are those two months so amazing? Because, those, because there's an argument in the Talmud, when was the world created? Was it created in the month of Tishrei, or was it created in the month of Nisan? And so what the deepest, what the deepest Torah sources tell us is that God created the world in the realm of thought in the month of Tishrei, and in the realm of action in the month of Nisan. And now you see these two months, the, the Tziruf, that's what it's called, the permutation of the Yudke Vavke, the Tziruf is fused together of thought and action in terms of the creation of the world. Okay, so now we have to ask another question. So that in itself is, I think, wow, okay? But now let's dig a little deeper. Why are we talking about Sarah? Right? 
So, so I would like to propose a, an answer. So if you, another great, amazing, amazing verse in the Torah, and again, if you, if you have a Chumash in front of you, I would recommend that you look at it because it's just so clear and nice to see with your eyes. So in the Stone Chumash, it's on page 10. It's the, um, it's the uh, first line of the new paragraph on that page. Uh, um, so it's um, the book of Genesis, Breshis, chapter 2, verse 4. Okay? So just to put it into context, what we've, what we've just done is we've talked about the entire sequence of creation, the first seven days. So that's like kind of the first, first organic chunk, if you will, of the Torah, the first seven days. And now this is the very, very first verse after the first seven days are described. Okay? And it says, these are the products of the heaven and the earth, or these are the generations of the heaven and the earth, when they were created on the day that Hashem, God, made the earth in heaven. Okay. There are many, many wondrous things about this verse, but I want to just stay focused on our question. Why are we talking about Sarah when we're talking about the creation of the world? Nisan and Tishrei being fused together, right? Now, if you look, it's the one, two, three, four, fifth word of that verse. It's Behibaram. And if you look, you'll see a small hay in there. And there's a tremendous amount of Torah on this, uh, on this word. A tremendous amount of Torah. But um, I, I'll tell you what the, um, the, the Zohar says, that if you rearrange the letters of Behibaram, it spells Ba'avraham. So here we have the first mention of Avraham Avinu, you know, it's, it's a, what we call a remez. It's a hint to Avraham Avinu. As soon as the seven days of creation are complete, the first thing that we're talking about is Avraham. So I was telling my daughter this last night, and I was very proud of her because she said, so then why wasn't Avraham created in the Garden of Eden? And the Medrash asks the same question. And they give several answers, and I have to review it because I only remember one answer, because this answer kind of just sent me kind of reeling. I haven't recovered quite from this answer yet, so I've forgotten the other ones. But the answer is that, yes, Hashem did consider putting Avraham there first, but if he had, if he had messed up like Adam, that that would have been the end of the world. So... But the Medrash is definitely on board that spiritually speaking, Avraham was greater than Adam. And so here you have a hint to Avraham right at the very beginning. Now, you can take it literally in the way that the Medrash is taking it, so to speak, literally, by asking the question, so why Adam and not Avraham? Right? But you can broaden the, the reference, the understanding of the reference to um, Avraham here. Bless you. So let's loosely translate the Pasik before we get to this second understanding, which is that, that basically the world was created for the sake of Avraham. Meaning to say, here's a broader interpretation, that the world was created for the sake of the righteous individual. Right? And by the way, the Rambam talks about, remember, when the Rambam is our consummate 
rationalist. Okay? But he's also the one who says that a person has to walk around lovesick with God. <laughs> lovesick for God. That's our consummate rationalist, by the way. Okay? And he talks about a concept that is very interesting, that when you say that the whole world was created for the righteous person, he says, or I've heard said in his name, that it talks about that, that a whole building could have been built. And you know, if you in real estate or construction, you know, to make a building is not a small endeavor. It's a big deal. It takes a lot of work and a lot of people. That a whole building could have been made just in order to cast shade so that a righteous person on a hot day could just sort of rest in the shade of this building. Now this is a very tzaddik-centric view of, of creation. And when, we, when I say tzaddik here, I mean anyone who's righteous. Anyone who's trying to do the right thing, not necessarily someone who's, you know, like, say, Abraham or Noah or whatever it is, but just someone who's... Remember, the technical definition of a tzaddik is anyone who has more mitzvahs than averus. Okay, so that's... So there are a lot of tzaddikim in the world. There's a lot of tzaddikim in the world. But again, here you see that all of creation is tied to Abraham, and Avraham and Sarah are one unit. Now, one of the great Midrashim, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's just a stunning, stunning visual. Avraham is bearing Sarah. Sarah's at the, she's finished with her life. Uh, in this world, anyway. And he goes into Moras Hamach Kela, right? which is the, the cave of the patriarchs, that he's gone through tremendous effort in order to obtain. And the Zohar says that, that this is the entrance to the Garden of Eden, where heaven and earth kiss. And he's digging to bury Sarah, and Adam and Chava come out of their graves. And Chava is, says she's so embarrassed because because of her actions, death came into the world. And how could it be that Avraham and Sarah are going to be buried right in this spot next to her? She's so embarrassed. And Avraham consoles her by saying, don't worry, we're going to fix it. Right? So Avraham and Sarah are there to fix up Adam and Chava. An amazing, amazing, amazing thing. And, and Chava, Eve, then becomes consoled, and she goes back. She goes, returns to her resting place. So, again, Avraham and Sarah, you see, are a unit, and that the world is created for Avraham, and by extension, for Sarah as well. And so now... Knowing this, let's revisit why is it that these two references to the two combinations of Hashem's name, one for Tishrei and one for Nisan, which represents the creation of the world in thought and the creation of the world in deed, are fused together while we're talking about Sarah. It's very appropriate since the other Pasuk, which is talking about the entire creation of the world, is talking about Abraham. So they become partner verses. 
Because the entire world was created so that we could connect with God. That awareness and that knowledge of the oneness of God is essential to the entire enterprise of the creation of the universe itself. This was not created to plunge human beings into a lifetime of confusion and sorrow and pain. That's not why the world was created. That is not some cat holding a a mouse by its tail and batting it around and terrorizing it. It's not, this is not the story and the purpose of creation. There is terror, there is pain, there is confusion, but that's not the point. That's not why this world exists. This world exists in order to raise it up. And we have this tremendous journey that we're all on together. We're all still on this journey of Lechlecha, of journeying toward Shabbos, of journeying toward the soul of the world, of discovering who we are by going deep within ourselves and then translating that inner inner knowledge into the world itself by making forward progress with our actions and our deeds. Now, Let's go more to the personal level now. More about this, this, this process of going within ourselves. Okay? Because the rabbis ask us to compare Noach and Avraham. And there are many comparisons. Right? And so I would like to attempt one also. Okay? Now, it says that in terms of... In, you know... It says that the Yetzirah, a person's negative inclination, it says in the Talmud, that a person's negative inclination is stronger than their positive inclination. But it's only because Hashem helps us that we're able to overcome our negative inclination, our Yetzirah. Okay? So I noticed this dynamic in an interesting way in terms of the orders of blessings between fruits and vegetables. Okay? Or even within even within fruits. I'll tell you I'll tell you what I mean. You see, let's say you have like someone puts out dessert for you. And there's cookies and cake and there's fruit, maybe grapes, and the, let's say there's cantaloupe. So all these things. Believe it or not, you don't just take what you want to take. There's an order to the blessings, a hierarchy to the blessings. And even within the seven species from Israel, like if there's a date or a pomegranate, right, grapes, even within the seven species, there's an order of a hierarchy of which you would reach for first, okay? So without going into the whole thing, let's just talk about if you have some grapes and you have some cantaloupe, all right? So grapes is Brepriha eights, okay? And a cantaloupe is Brepri Adama. Adama means coming from the ground, the earth. It's Adama, right? Has the word Adam in it. And and eights is from a tree. So now, all things being equal, if someone put the grapes and the cantaloupe in front of you, all things being equal, the halacha is that you would make a Brepri Eats first. Okay? Before you would make Adama. And the reason is, is because... It's a more specific blessing. Um, let me say it in other words, an, another way. Adama is talking about the earth. So if you make a blessing, God who brings things forth from 
the earth, well, that would include trees as well. And it would include all the fruit from the tree. So if you already make the Adama, it's not really necessary at that point to say the Ha'etz. Because you've already made a very general blessing which included trees and all the fruit from trees. Right? So since we want to avoid then being redundant, because then if you say a Brepriya Ha'etz afterwards, you've kind of already said that blessing and it's a, it, it, it's, it's a category of blessing that we try to avoid because now we're using Hashem's name unnecessarily which is a lack of yira. We don't want to do that. So we order the blessings in a, in a normal way. Let's make the more specific thing. First, we're talking about the greatness of God bringing f- f- food forth from a tree. And then next we'll say something even more, more wide from the ground itself. You got it? So first the grape, then the cantaloupe. Very clear? Okay. So now there's an exception, <laughs> which is... There's something called in halacha, if something is chaviv. Chaviv means beloved. Right? Like sometimes you hear someone called habibi, right? <laughs> that's the same word. That means my beloved, basically. You know, so that's a, time, a, a term of friendship or whatever it is. Okay. So, so now let's say you put the grapes in front of me and the cantaloupe in front of me. And I'm really not in the mood for grapes, although I'll eat some grapes. And I really want the cantaloupe. <laughs> so the rabbis say, if the Adama is chaviv, if that's really what you desire and you really want it, right? Then, in that instance, you can make the Adama first, eat the cantaloupe first, and then when you have the grapes, then you can say the grapes second. Okay? Alright, so now let's get into the more mystical side of this. So, so, Brei Priha Eitz goes first. What did we say? We say that the Yetzirah is stronger than a person. What is a person? person in, in, in Hebrew is, um, is Adam, right? So Adama, Adama is the letters Ha-Adam, the person. And we know we were formed out of earth and then God breathed our soul within us. So, so, and Ha'etz represents the Eitz Adas, right? Which brought death into the world. That's what the snake sort of like sent us to. That's what we were told not to eat from first, right? So that shows you that the Yetzirah goes first, meaning that the Yetzirah is stronger than a person, right? But Adama can go first. Adama is the person. In other words, the person can have the strength to override the Yetzirah if it's Chaviv, if it's beloved by God. If you get help from God, because God sees that you want to do the right thing, so God says, you're Chaviv to me, you're going to go first and you're going to be able to override the Yetz, the Yetzirah. Okay? Okay, good. So... That's number one. We're going to have to build to this thought. That's number one. A person has the ability to overcome their Yetzirah if they're Chaviv, right? Or if they find, here's another way of saying it, if they find Chain, which would be translated as grace, in God's eyes, if they find Chain, then God will allow them to overcome the Yetzirah. Okay? Now, 
The Talmud says that the ideal person is someone whose insides and outsides are in harmony. Like your actions are an accurate reflection of the purity of your soul. And we learn that from the Aaron Kodesh, which held the tablets of the, of the Ten Commandments, because it said it was gold on the inside and gold on the outside. And they say that that's the ideal person. His insides and his outsides match. Okay. It's hard to do. Very hard to do. You can, how many times do we talk about someone having a good heart? Usually when we say we have a good heart, that means that his actions aren't great, but he's got a good heart. (laughs) You know, so we want to have more than a good heart. We want to have a good heart, but we also want to be able to execute. We want to be able to achieve the manifestation of our good heart through our actions in this world. All right. Now, but the Yetzirah is very strong. Sometimes the inside doesn't translate to the outside. So now with this in mind, let's look at Noah, because we're, this is all preparing us to contrast Noah and Avraham. Noah was very, very great. But he didn't, he wasn't able to, for whatever reason, and there are reasons why he wasn't able to, but he wasn't able to translate his insides and his awesome greatness into saving the world on the outside. He, he wasn't able to. To save, the, to save the world. He wasn't able to save the world. That means that his insides kind of got crossed up. They weren't able to translate to his outside. So, if you look at the end of Parsha's uh, Breshis, it says that God was going to destroy the world, but Noah found Chain in God's eyes. Chain means grace. But Chain is very interesting because Chain is the mirror image of the letters of Noah. In other words, if you spell Noah in reverse, the mirror image of Noah is Chain. So in other words, Noah had this awesome goodness inside, but he wasn't able to translate that to the outside to save the, the, the generation. It got it got blocked. It got, it got switched around. But that switched around spells chen, which was, even though it wasn't enough to save the generation, it was enough to save him because he found chen in God's sight. He found grace in God's sight because God saw that he really was tremendous on the inside and really was trying to fix the outside. So it didn't get, the Noah on the inside didn't get to be Noah on the outside. It got switched around, but it spells chen, and he found grace, and he was saved. Okay. Now, let's contrast that with lech lecha. You know what's so awesome about lech lecha? Let's take lech and lecha. It's the exact same letters on both sides. They don't get switched around. It's not like Noah and Chain. The Lech somehow becomes 
lecha, which are both the exact same sequence of letters without getting switched around. Now, what would be the template of that? Because we said, you know, like, it's very hard to translate the inside to the outside. So now, remember the luchos, the tablets, the first tablets that were given on Mount Sinai by God. There were all sorts of miracles that were by the luchos. One of the amazing miracles by the luchos is that each letter was written clear through the tablet. Okay? So if you made a lamed, or whatever it is, the lamed on one side, you could see through the lamed, right? It went straight through. Now, if you were to do that with a piece of paper, right? Just carve through a piece of paper, the letter lamed, say, and then you were to turn the paper around, it would be a backward lamed, right? But they say that one of the miracles by the Luchos was even though the letter went straight through, when you turned it around, it was still in the correct... It was not the mirror image. <laughs> it, was, it was still the same Lamed. So look at Lech Lecha, how Lech and Lecha, like the parallel being like Noach and Chain, only those letters get switched around. Lech and Lecha don't get switched around. They're like the Luchos. They're like these miraculous tablets that somehow stayed the same backwards and forwards. Because Hashem blessed Avraham. Hashem blessed Avraham. Hashem saw how much Avraham wanted to connect with him. And then God said, okay, we're, we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. Avraham was Chaviv. Avraham was someone who so desired to know the truth and to do the truth that Hashem says, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to make, we're going to make a breakthrough. We're going to make a breakthrough in the world. We're going to make a breakthrough in the world. And you see that with Lech and Lecha, that somehow they stay straight. The journey stays straight. It doesn't get thrown off course. So I'll just close with um, an amazing story, just a short story, but just something that blew my mind. There's this book that I'm sort of slowly working through. It's called Rescuing the, the Rebbe of Bells. And uh, kind of had this book for a while, but I wasn't really looking at it until recently, um, not so long ago. I mentioned it once. I, I was, uh, was Shabbos morning and something kind of drew me to where um, my wife lights the candles and there are a number of pictures, frame pictures and things like that in that area. And something caught my eye, I didn't know what it was, and I looked and there's a little black and white photo. Like, and I was like, what is that? And I picked it up and it says underneath in Hebrew, the bells are Rebbe. And it was from, I think, before World War II. And so I'm just looking at it, like I didn't know we had a picture of the bells are Rebbe. My wife's grandmother on her father's side were from Belzer Hasidim. So I'm, 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 I'm looking at the face, I'm staring at the face of the Belzer Rebbe in this picture. And so I think, okay, if I'm holding this, then that means I have to learn something from Bells right now. So I go to my library and I find the first thing I can from the Belzer Rebbe and I start reading it. 
And you know what the Torah is? The Torah is how good it is to look into the face of a tzaddik. Which, like, you know, blew my mind, right? And then I realized, oh, I have this book, because I had always heard about this, Rescuing the Rebbe of Bells, how the Bells are Rebbe's miraculous salvation from the Nazis. And it's, it's this... I mean, you can't even imagine. I'm still in the middle of it. But I'm up to this point right now where he's in Budapest. And just getting to Budapest was like miracles on top of miracles. And he's in Budapest, and he's finally gotten his papers to go to Israel. Okay, this is still during World War II. The Nazis have not overtaken Hungary yet. So, so it was surprising to the people of Hungary that he wanted to go to Israel because they felt like they were somehow still safe. But the Belzer Rebbe said they can pounce at any moment, and of course he was right. And so he felt like, we have to go. And there was a whole international consortium of Belzer Hasidim in, in Switzerland, in London, in the United States, in Israel, and even Istanbul, who were all trying to coordinate his papers and everything like this in order to get him to be able to go to Israel. A very extremely complicated thing with a lot of people helping. Anyway, they finally get his papers in order. He's going to go in two months. And he's in a place, and, and they're being, they're allowing, like Hungary at this point, it seems like normal to the extent that anything could be normal in more or less German-friendly Europe at the height of World War II. You know what I mean? It's like starting to wind down slightly at this point, but it's still very much in action. But the Belzer Rebbe is able to have like tishes and the Hasidim, hundreds or even thousands of Hasidim are going to see him. So there was a relative normalcy that was going on. So this is all under the category of Lechacha, right? This is Lechacha, he wants to get to Israel, right? So the last two months, he's, you know, you know, who might use the word comfortable? It's a stupid word to use in this context. But relatively speaking, in the present apartment that he was in, it was relatively stable, let's say. And he's got two more months, and uh, he says all of a sudden, I have to move, I have to move. We have to move. And everyone's like, why do you have to move? Like, what's wrong with where you are right now? We have to move, we have to move. So they move him. And remember, there's only two more months that he's got. He gets to, to the new place, and he never, like, like, he wouldn't tell people, like, when he would do things like this, what he was thinking. People didn't know. Um, but they were phenomenally loyal. Like, his gabayim, his, his, his assistants were phenomenally loyal. I mean, it's, like, amazing, like, what, 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 how people would risk their life for him on a regular basis. And then he gets to the new spot, and he's there for a few weeks, whatever it is, and he says, we have to move, we have to move. And they're like, what, what, what's going on? You know, there's nothing wrong with this spot. He's like, we have to move. So they, they move him again. And now, um, and now he's in that, that spot. And then at a certain point, again, there's only a, a short time left before he's leaving for Israel. He says, we have to move, we have to move. And they move him again. So now he moved three times in that last two months when it he didn't have to move at all. 
and there was relatively relative normalcy in 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 and stability in in Budapest. Afterwards, after he leaves, and no one saw this coming, the Hungarians working with the Nazis made a ghetto that all the Jews had to go into. And there were something like 100,000 Jews that went into this ghetto. Listen to this. The ghetto was a square, and the four points of the square are the four addresses that he went to. No one knew that this was going to happen. And if it happened, no one even knew what the, necessarily what the, what the parameters would be. Somehow, he knew that his, and, and the Jews in that ghetto, almost all of them survived. That he was able to somehow, I mean, I, I'm going to use words, but I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'll just use this, these words anyway somehow put a ring of protection around this area. I mean, what words can you use to describe that? But these are, these are tzaddikim. These are, this is, these are who our tzaddikim are. And, and, and this is why you have a concept in Torah called emunas chachamim, that you you believe in Chachamim. You believe in, in Sadiqim. And, of course, you understand there's only one power, which is Hashem. And there are no middlemen between you and Hashem. But nonetheless, there is this category of guidance called Chachamim, who are very, very great people, who, when you read the deeds and you read accounts, you, you see that there's no way to understand these things. But somehow, somehow they know. <coughs> 